probably act like a little kid and be super excited and I'll squee. And I, I, I don't know what the fuck that was. I apologize. That I'll was leave a that squeal. The- squee. Like a, like a little pig. I will leave that in the show, even though I kind of feel like a jackass for doing that. You are listening to Trophy Horse with your host, Tricky Mick, Alex, I yield to no one, Mark, My squiggly lines are moving when I talk. Hello everyone and welcome to Trophy Horse. This is episode 310 and we're back for the sequel. Don't call it a comeback because we never left. This week you get the triumphant trophy popping twosome of Alex, myself, and Yield. Whoop, whoop. You know, I, we usually call you Yield for short, but we, I think we've more formally announced you as I Yield to No One. At the start of the podcast, or maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like we're more formal when we introduce you at the beginning of the show. You know, I never paid attention. Well, usually it's because Tricky's hosting, so I mean, who really wants to pay attention to that? That is true. And you know, even though that Tricky is missing yet another episode of Trophy Horse, Yield and I are here for you, and we've got our updated trophy counts for you. Tricky is a level thirty-three. He's got a total trophy count of eight thousand two hundred thirty-nine. He's got a platinum count of seventy-seven. Without that internet, I guess he's got internet back now. Yeah, he does. He he was playing. What was he playing last night? I think he was playing an Assassin's Creed game last night. Syndicate? I think that's what he was playing before. Yeah. Well, he's. Uh, I've earned another platinum this this past week, so he's got a little catching up to do now. I've kind of widened the gap for between us to thirteen platinum. So whoop whoop. Yeah. So I am level twenty nine. I have six thousand one hundred ninety five trophies, and I have ninety platinums in eighty nine games. The newest Platinum that I got this week is Crash Bandicoot from Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. Bravo. One down, three to go. Yay. Yep, and apparently the hardest one to get, the original Crash, because I would say that the hardest levels are probably in Crash Bandicoot. Well, that's good. That's good. Wait, is it, was it uh, controller throwing frustrating? I never threw my controller, but I could see somebody else doing that. Because it does, it does get that frustrating because you're dying so many times. Like, I, I likened it to Donkey Kong Country or Donkey Kong Country Returns last week. So I, I think that it could get to that point for somebody, but I have much better control over my controller-throwing rage than most people. That is good. Yield, what's your trophy count? Uh, level 25, trophy count of 4731, and a platinum count of 71. And this week, I actually added somebody to the, the list here. Sid, since he's a part kind of the show now with Sophie's Trophies, and we've got another episode, new episode for you this week. So we're going to read Sid's trophy counts for you. He's level 25. He's got 5,267 total trophies, and he's got, and he's got 63 Platinums. So, I mean, Sid is obviously a proven trophy whore. He's, he's a seasoned vet. So more, more than happy to have him as part of this, this show that we call Trophy Whores. Yield. What have you been playing, sir? So, um, let's see here. This week, I haven't been playing much. I've been playing uh, Bird of Steel, working on that one, and uh, jumped back into some more Mad Max. I, I really, I'm really enjoying that game. I mean, there is a lot to collect. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that game came out over a year ago. I started playing it, put it down, moved on to other stuff, come back to it. So, I, I it, it, there is there is a lot to collect and to do. To get the platinum, so but I I really enjoy that game and that universe. I I would I would really enjoy them making another Mad Max type game. I wonder if that would be tied to a, another movie, a Mad Max movie, a few years down the road. You know, I hope not because th- th- this game was tied nothing to the movie, even though it came out shortly after, shortly after, or shortly before the movie came out. I believe it was after. And the the only thing tied to the movie, if you would, would be like in the first initial cutscene, and then after that, it has absolutely nothing to do with the movie. It's always because a lot of times, obviously, with licensed games, and this has kind of been more endemic of the superhero games than anything, is that they will rush out a game 
to have it match up with the movie so it creates a buzz for each other and people you know go to the movie and then they buy the game or they buy the game and then they go see the movie transformers has also been a victim of this so it's good when they can kind of take inspiration from the movie and, and, and characters and such the world but when they don't actually line it up quite the same so that they can kind of tell their own story have you seen the the mad max movie fury road yeah i have okay so basically the only thing the same as as in the the mad max the video game made by avalanche studios is that in the very beginning max's car is stolen and it's and it, that is the only thing that's the same as what's in the movie after that there is you you have the war boys but that's it you know you don't really you don't follow the same storyline as what fury road did so it's more kind of like a uh if you will a road warrior if you want to put it in line of any kind of mad max movies okay i actually never the only mad max movie i've ever seen is fury road and i quite like it Uh, that doesn't you know that's not saying that i don't wouldn't be willing to see the other ones i just kind of never did watch them i always liked road warrior over the other two was that was road warrior the sequel or the first one that was the sequel the first one was just called Mad Max, and it basic and it basically because I I had saw Road Warrior first and thought that was the first one, and then when you go back and watch the first one, you're like, oh, that explains so much of what why he is the way he is in Road Warrior. So, but yeah, I just I, I that game's got it's it's a lot of of vehicle. I won't say vehicle combat because there is you know you can you know body slam cars and harpoon them and use your shotgun. Initially, when you start the game, you really have to conserve your ammo and really watch your health because, you know, you've only got like one one or two shotgun shells and that's all you can hold. So you really have to make the conscious effort of, do I really want to shoot this guy or do we want to slug it out? Because I don't know when I'm going to find another shotgun shell, you know? Yeah. So th- th- that's what I like about the game. And then a lot of the games that, that claim... Hey, we've got a really big open world, you know, like I'll go like to to Red Dead Redemption and you could ride from one side of the map to the other side of the map in five minutes. And it's like, that's not really, you know, I mean, yeah, it's a big map, but when you're, you know, when you can ride across the map in five minutes, that's really not an open world to me. When you've got to drive from point A to point B, it feels like it takes a while. And there is a fast travel option. Which I said last week, I really don't use fast travel. I, you know, I do the game the way I feel it's intended, which is you drive. And I kind of like that. I was telling my wife that when I was playing the other night. I really enjoy the fact that, you know, you drive from point A to point B and you finish a mission and you're out in the middle of nowhere. Now to do your next mission, you got to drive back to BFE to accept it. And I kind of like that because you can get distracted along the way. Ooh. There's some loot over there to 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 uh, to collect. I need to go over there and collect my scrap or or whatever. Oh, these guys want to try and kill me. Let's beat their cars and blow them up and collect their scrap. So I mean, you can easily get distracted in that game. So I'm gonna say that I like my fast travel. I said it last week because I'm trying to get that platinum and I'm trying to move on to the next game. You know, enjoy the game that I'm playing. But I don't want to be driving around unnecessarily for hours because travel in games, whether by foot or by car, helicopter, whatever, it can take a while. Yes. Or add unnecessary time to your game. And let's be honest with how much, you know, how crazy life can get these days and how busy life can get. Ain't nobody got time for that. I can't argue with that thought. Although I guess your name is I yield to no one, so you don't yield to the fast travel very often. No, no, I don't. Unless, unless I'm in a hurry, then I will. Gotcha. Anything else? No, really, that's that's the only two games I've been focusing on. All right, well, I have been playing, continuing my my campaign through Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. Uh, I, as I said before, I got the Platinum in Crash Bandicoot, and I'm now about a little more than halfway through Crash 2, Cortex Strikes Back. So I'm halfway through Crash 2, and I'm really enjoying it. Like I said, the games get better with each one, so Crash 2 is better than Crash Bandicoot, Crash Warp is better than Crash 2, but, you know... Crash 2 is one of my favorite PlayStation 2 games, excuse me, my favorite PlayStation games. And still, the gameplay, again, still holds up. I'm still having so much fun with it. And I won't go on too much more about it, but I will share an experience with you. I remember when I was, 
when the game came out and it was my birthday and I got in my, I got, I was sitting, I remember sitting at the dinner table at my dad's house and my dad got me Crash Bandicoot 2 for the PlayStation. And I remember opening it up and just looking through the booklet at all the new things, all the new features and, you know, turning to the characters and seeing this is the game where they introduced Dr. Engine and they introduced Tiny Tiger. And of course, my favorite characters, the Komodo Brothers, this duo that looks so fierce and so cool, these sword throwing Komodo dragons. I was like, oh my gosh, he's going to give me awesome. And I just remember getting the boss fight and just the music being so catchy. And they redid the music for Insane Trilogy and it's got guitar riffs now and everything. It's really awesome. I suggest you go listen to it, even if you don't have Insane Trilogy. If you remember the first game, go listen to it because it's really, really catchy still. But I remember the music being really catchy. But the Komodo Brothers, as sad as it is, like they, I feel like they were a wasted opportunity because they were, they're one of the easiest boss fights in the entire series. I think you could argue that they're just as easy as Papu Papu, which is kind of crazy to say. But uh, I still have fond memories of that because they were my favorite characters. And then getting to the, fight them finally and hearing their music and everything, like it was, it was just awesome. So the fact that I, this is why I really say that remakes and remasters are okay as long as they're made from games that are far enough back, like PS1 era, because I'm getting to relive these moments from my childhood with prettier graphics and updated music, but it's, it's just bringing back so many good memories, and I appreciate it so much. And again, if you have not played Crash Bandicoot before, or you want to play Crash again, go get Insane Trilogy, because it's great. Yield, does that make you want to buy it anymore? Oh, I was planning on getting it anyway. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I've got a lot of other games I'm trying to burn through, and I was like, I, I can wait on that. Well, you gotta get that Mad Max Platinum. Exactly. Well, as long as you get Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy before Gran Turismo Sport comes out, I don't think I'll heckle you too much. Sony has announced the release date for Gran Turismo Sport, and it's October 17th. So if you're a fan of simulation-style racing, possibly the most famous and longest-running simulation racer of all, Gran Turismo, you get your chance to play it on October 17th. Now, Yield and I aren't really into the whole simulation style. We look more like our our arcade-style racers. We're more split-second, motor storm. And Yield, one of the games that I really, really liked from actually never played it. I, I still want to play it. I still need to play it. It was Motorstorm Apocalypse. I know, do you have the Platinum in that game? Yes, I do. Okay, so the first Motorstorm was a really good game. Yes, and it was. It, it, it did not get a lot of credit because in the first year of the PlayStation 3's life cycle, they're like, what, you've got Resistance Fall of Man and what else? Well, actually, they also had Heavenly Sword and they also had Warhawk and Ratchet and Clank Tools of Destruction and then, you know, following December, they had Uncharted Drake's Fortune. But Warhawk was kind of overlooked, too. But Motorstorm was really overlooked. Because oh, yeah. It's a, it a great racing game, and I think a lot of people got tired. One of the things I remember people saying about it was it was all set in desert. Like, there, it wasn't that colorful, and it was kind of the same terrain over and over again. Motorstorm Pacific Rift comes out, and it's on, like, an island paradise. You're rushing through the jungle. You're, you're racing through volcanic areas. It was a fantastic game. Yes, it was. And then, of course, hard as hell to get the Platinum, I'll tell you that, because I've only got like 43% or something like that. I don't even have the trophies. I was, I was going to try to at least get all the single player, because I think my, both, actually all three Motorstorms, by the time I picked them up, they had been out a while. So I kind of already figured that everybody had moved on, you know, and the on, there was quite, quite a few online trophies that was just like, I, I don't want to grind that much, but I'll try to get all the single player trophies because it was just, you know, win X amount of times with a heavy and a light and all that. But then my hard drive or my system crashed and I would have had to have started all over again. And I'm just like, okay, I'm ready to move on. But I did enjoy, I did enjoy uh, Pacific Rift. And of course, Apocalypse. Apocalypse is really cool because you basically raced on deforming and eroding terrain. Correct me if I'm wrong, with like storms and earthquakes in that game where you were trying to race to the finish? Yeah, there was, um, you're basically, you know, the major earthquake has happened and there are still aftershocks. So, you know, the more, the Moto Storm Festival comes in and you are racing on courses and sometimes they change and sometimes they don't. So, and then you, you'll learn which courses do and don't, but it's, it's really cool, especially when you get on the coast and you get those, you know, uh, gigantic tornadoes and the, the waves come in. Those are, those are fun as well. But so is, so is when you're driving along and all of a sudden, you know, the road just opens up and some of it rises and some of it closes off and it's, it can be fun and frustrating at the same time. Yeah, and Split Second was exhilarating on a completely different level because it was it was like you had a kind of defined track, 
but it went through places like an airport and you it was like a hollywood production so you kind of built up these kind of special attacks and you set off like detonators and explosions to throw off your oppo- your opponents from the race and try to gain an advantage over them so you use like tactics like that like physical tactics to try and hamper the other cars which is really cool about split second it's a very unique racing game and it's sad that black rock studio went out of business that disney had to shut down black rock studio and we never got a split second sequel because if you've listened to the show before you probably know that yield and i both want split second too oh yeah i was i was so stoked at the end of the game when they teased another game i was like yes bring it i love that type of of racing game where it's just not get out in front and lead you know there you know there is a little bit of strategy to it because if you got out in front and led in split second, you couldn't build up your attacks as as easily. You know, you needed to be in the middle of the pack to draft, drift, uh, destroy other cars to build up your attack to vault you up front. You know, so it, it was always fun to try to to hit the right, you know, level, you know, level two or level three destruction. To wipe out the whole pack but yourself. And then just take off like you stole it. Again, Split Second was a great game. Yield has the plot in a minute. I do not. It's, it, was, it was a crazy, very unique racing game. So if, if you ever find it, please please go ahead and play that. And here's something you'll be a little bit more into, Yield. is Star Wars Battlefront 2, the open beta. Yes. Did you, did you play the original Star Wars Battlefront? Yes, I did. I, I I picked it up later. I didn't buy it day one. And I'm although I'm excited or I shouldn't say excited. I'm happy to hear that they're making another one. I'm a little disappointed that it's so soon. So okay, well what what is your concern with it or why are you kind of questioning why it's coming out so soon? Because it wasn't it two years ago that it came out? I thought it was last year. Maybe it is two years. I I just thought that it could have it could have waited. I mean, I know there was a lot of a lot of people were complaining that there was no single player campaign and that it was just strictly online. But for me, it, you know, besides the space battles, which they took care of both of those, it seems like in Battlefront Two, you have space battles and there's a single player campaign. I just feel that they rushed uh, after seeing what they've done with this one and coming out so close to the first one. It seems like they rushed in a way they rushed Battlefront to meet to be a, released the same time as. Uh, Force Awakens. So that way, like we were talking earlier, you capitalize on the movie hype. Well, okay, so the release date for Star Wars Battlefront is November 17th, 2015, so it was roughly two years ago. So it was two years ago. So here we are again, we've got another Star Wars, you know, we've got The Last Jedi due to be out the end of this year, and we're coming out with yet another Battlefront game. Disney paid a lot for Star Wars or for, for Lucasfilms and LucasArts, so, I mean, they, and these games are sandwiched in between Rogue One, too. So you've got Episode Seven, Rogue One, and then The Last Jedi all in three years. And you've got these two games in between those. So, I mean, they're really kind of pumping out Star Wars stuff. It's almost like, okay, Disney, are you starting to go into overdrive? I realize we didn't have new Star Wars content, new Star Wars movies for a long time until Episode One came out back in the late 90s. But are we at this point where it's like, okay, Star Wars kind of needs to slow down. If you're going to give me something, give me something in the universe. Like what it seems like what uh, Visceral is doing. You know, I mean, we don't really know. I mean, it could be a tie-in to the, in a way, to the Han Solo movie. But, you know, at least for me, either I want something like like Rogue Squadron. You know, for the, what was it, what was it, the uh, N64 and even the GameCube. Those type games where it's just, you know, you're using the Star Wars vehicles and doing missions, whether they're movie-based or they were just made-up missions in the universe. Or I get a totally independent Star Wars-type game. So so what, what do you mean by that? Do you mean not tied at all to the movies? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of what you're getting with these, isn't it? Because Battlefront, and w- let, me, let me share the news with the listeners. Uh, the, they have announced the dates for the open beta for Star Wars Battlefront 2. Uh, it's in early October, October 6th. Everything kicks off October 6th. 
And what uh, the most important thing is, how can you how can you play? If you pre-order Star Wars Battlefront 2, you can get in two days early. So you can get in on the beta on October 4th. The beta goes public on the 6th, October 6th, and then it lasts through the 9th. So if you don't pre-order it, you've got three days. Well, no, I guess four days. Yes, the 6th, 7th, and 9th. 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th to play it. And kind of what's featured, uh, it's called the Galactic Assault on Naboo. And this comes from play- the PlayStation blog. Join the Separatist Droid Army or the Republic clones on the streets of Theed in massive 40-player multiplayer melees. Basically, the, the one level they're going to have is Naboo, and you're going to be playing using the clones of the Separatist Droids. That's kind of tied to Episode 1, but it's not necessarily tied to anything recently. So it's, it's, not, it, it's not having to do anything with The Last Jedi or Rogue One. I mean, does that make it a little bit more enticing for you to yield? Because, I mean, Battlefront has always been about reliving the greatest battles from the Star Wars universe. I mean, as long as you get to, I mean, as long you know, you're, you're obviously going to have, you know, your, I'm going to say it wrong, your vehicle fights, which to me was the most enticing thing about Star Wars. So, I mean, the ground assaults are cool and everything, but I always just like flying the X-Wings and the A-Wings. So, like, Star Wars Battlefront 2, like, you didn't like fighting on, like, Naboo, or you didn't like fighting on Dagobah. You could run around with Mace Windu or Darth Maul and just hack and slash people on Tatooine. That that wasn't your flavor? No, not really. I, I, I've always enjoyed either using the walkers or using, you know, the A-wings, the X-wings, Y-wings... The interceptors, Tie Fighters, all all those. I just preferred the the vehicle battles over over ground and pound. See, I felt like with the vehicle battles, a lot of times, especially in space, it doesn't take as much strategy. Whereas if you're on the ground and you're in these buildings, you're fighting through the streets. Like the Jedi Temple at Coruscant was one of my favorite levels from Star Wars Battlefront Two. I also love playing on Endor, and I feel like those took a lot more strategy than like space battles. I don't think... They didn't have space battles in Star Wars Battlefront 2, I don't think. I don't believe so. It seems like, you know, those would take a lot less strategy because you're in a big open space and you're just... It's all reflexes, like, say, Star Fox. You're... It's all pretty much reflexes and just shooting, whereas, you know, there is some of that in the ground battles, but you can also hide and use cover. Like, I, I feel like there's more strategy to a ground ground um, assault. Don't disagree. You are You are right. You know, obviously, you come from the ilk who loved Warhawk, and it's crazy that Warhawk was so successful with a multiplayer-only game, and Star Wars Battlefront was something that people said, well, we need a a single-player campaign, we need story. Maybe that lends to the fact that, you know, Star Wars has such a narrative universe built up, and there's so many characters. I think that's what it is, because it's got the Star Wars name to it. So people want to see more of that, and they want to see their favorite characters. They want to see the names, and and they want to, you know, like with Star Killer and the Force of Awa- excuse me, the Force Unleashed. People want to see whether it's a new Star Wars story or one that's being retold to them. They, they I guess they they want to delve into that lore that's been built up over the last four decades. Whereas you know, Warhawk doesn't really have a lot of narrative to it, so I guess it can kind of get away without a campaign. Yeah, I I don't know what made Warhawk so so fun. I think to me, when I first started playing it, it was the fact that it was it felt diverse than any of the other multi multiplayers. You know, you could you could jump into Warhawk and you could just fly, be air support. If you decided you didn't want to do that in the middle of the game, you could land, jump out, and jump in a jeep or a tank, and you know, be ground support, or you could just hoof it from one end of the map to the other. And, you know, and just have battles that way. You know, it felt, one of the great things about Warhawk is that it was really balanced. Like, whether you were on foot, whether you are in a Warhawk, or whether you are in a tank, you had almost an equal opportunity to get kills, and to improve your score, and improve your standing. It wasn't like if you were on foot, you were completely screwed. Now, if you came face-to-face with a tank, you weren't going to, chances are you weren't going to come out of that alive. But, you know, there were rocket launchers and the binoculars that called down the airstrike. I mean, there were things that made each... There were advantages to each playstyle, so whether you like to be in the air or on the ground, you had kind of a, a good opportunity to help your team. Like, you could contribute positively no matter what you were doing. And I think that's what made Warhawk so special, because of the balance. Yeah, it, yeah, and it, it was, I would say it was pick up and play. You, there was a learning curve to it. Once you got past that curve, you're exactly right. I mean, you could, no matter what you did, 
you know, whether you were a, a grounded pound, whether you were in a tank, or whether you were flying, you could be useful either way. And they're the only thing that made you what would make you seem superior over everybody else was your experience in said category. You know, one thing about Star Wars and, the, and delving into the lore and having a single player campaign. We've heard, I mean, obviously we've seen the DVDs, we've watched the movies, we've seen them in theaters, we've seen on VHS, we know the stories, we know the characters. It's almost kind of like Marvel superhero movies and and DC Comics movies. We've seen the origin stories to so many of those characters, and they've been rebooted. Do we really need to see the same Star Wars scenarios on like Hoth and Endor played out over and over again? Is that Do we really want to keep buying games like that? Because at that point, it's pretty much like a Madden game, isn't it? That's a good point. Which it being published by EA is kind of a an apt comparison. Yes, it is. I was going to say no because I, I like I, I said earlier, I'm fine with the Rogue Squadron type games, and those always threw in your, you know, they would always throw in some of your movie battles. You know, they throw in the trench run, they throw in your battle at Hoth, but they also had several uh, unique missions that just took place in the universe. Yeah, I mean, like, if I'm, for me, I enjoy Star Wars Battlefront 2, but if I were to buy Star Wars Battlefront 2 by EA, I feel like I would be okay with playing the same levels and planets again with, you know, updated graphics and a different engine. But if I bought Battlefront a few years ago and this game is coming out, I don't think I'd be as willing to play it because it goes back to the whole Crash Bandicoot thing. Crash has been kind of out of out of the limelight for so long that going back and remastering these games or remaking these games... I should say, and playing them again is fun. It's it's fun again, and it's, it's totally cool. But playing the same Battlefront levels again two years after the last game came out, like, I'm not quite as cool with that. And I, I wouldn't want to do that. Makes sense. Maybe, I don't know if... I kind of feel like Battlefront 2 is the Battlefront game they wanted to make in the first place. It almost, feel, it almost feels like Battlefront was a, ba- a beta for Battlefront 2. I, that's my thought. Because you're getting everything you wanted in the first game. So it all, like I said, it almost feels like they, you know, well, hey, Force Awakens is coming out. We need to get this game out. If I buy EA's Battlefront, go to Mustafar, play on Mustafar, and then I get EA's Battlefront 2, and, and I'm back on Mustafar again, it's like, okay, why, why did I buy this game again? Sure, maybe it's a better game, but I'm still fighting on the same planets that we've seen in the movies. I guess they add something new with the the planets from episode seven, but at the same time, episode seven was almost a carbon copy of a new hope. So you really get anything new anyway. I don't think so. (laughs) So are you going to be buying battlefront Two yield? Uh, If I do, it'll be down the road. I bought battlefront just so I could play just to see what it was like. You know, maybe it would be sort of war hawkish, you know, because you got your vehicles and you've got, you know, your your heroes that you could play as. And it had the co-op campaigns. I guess I mainly bought it because it was Star Wars. But then how quickly everybody seemed to die off from it and go somewhere else, I'm just, I'm not going to rush out and get Battlefront 2. You know, I well, if you don't rush out and get Battlefront 2, what if the community dies as quickly as they did with the first game? Then I guess I miss out. Because, you, I mean, you've got the, still got the single-player campaign, but... Obviously, the the giant reliving the giant battles in the Star Wars universe and from the movies is what you want the game for, and it's more fun, obviously, with people online, or at least human competitors than the AI. Normally, depends on who you play with anymore, and if you have your microphone turned on, turned on or not, and if you can hear anybody talking. It's usually a lot more enjoyable if you can't hear anyone talking. All right, well, that is going to be the end. Oh, by actually. Yield, have you seen the teaser posters for The Last Jedi? Yes, I have. What do you What do you think of those? There's a whole lot of red in those. Yeah, I'm still trying to to figure out what's going on with that. You know, the the whole Last Jedi thing and then all the red. I don't know. Well, clearly, obviously, Sith have red lightsaber crystals, so their lightsabers are always red. And typically, I mean, you look at the progression of the movies and what happens in each movie, the second movie in each trilogy is when the the evil forces and the Sith gain the upper hand. I mean, you look at Attack of the Clones, and it it kind of 
it's not necessarily a really sad ending or like a, a a bad ending. It's just kind of ominous because the clone army is in full production, which obviously becomes stormtroopers for the Empire later on. It's all leading into Palpatine's rule when he finally becomes emperor. Sidious is kind of playing playing those games still and kind of setting everything up for the third movie. And then episode five, Empire Strikes Back. Like, obviously, that ends in a very, very terrible way for the good guys. So the second movie in each of the trilogies seems to be where the, the bad guys, the villains, get the foot up. Which clearly, with all the red and then the name itself, The Last Jedi, I mean, when that name came out, everyone's like, oh my god, if I have to watch Luke Skywalker die, I won't be able to handle it. I fully expect it, just like I fully expected uh, someone not to make it out of the first movie. Well, in, in Carrie Fisher, obviously, she passed away recently, and this is obviously going to be the last Star Wars movie she's in. So do we have to watch Leia and Luke go in this movie? Is that something we're going to have to watch? That would be hard to totally off the entire old cast. Because, well, I mean, Chewie might still be there. But, I mean, you're pretty much putting then the third movie all on Ray and Finn's shoulders. Because, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but the five characters that were featured, and I'm not actually sure if I saw Ray. I definitely saw one for Leia, I saw one for Luke, I saw one for Kylo Ren, and then I saw one for Finn. I saw, I've seen Poe and Ray. And Poe, yes, I, I, I saw Poe too, but I did not see Ray. So you're essentially, potentially putting all of the movie on the shoulders of Ray and Finn and Poe. And I think that they were great characters in the first movie, and depending on how they, they treat them in the second movie, how much they give them to do, I definitely think that they can carry that load, but you've got you've to make it... I can't suspend disbelief. You've got to make it believable that transition of, of kind of magic from the old cast to the new cast. Having three movies definitely helps that transition, but, you know, you've got to think, are... are if Leia and Luke are both going out in this movie, are fans going to be too focused on that and how they feel about that as opposed to how they feel about the new characters? As, as in, will they be blinded by their sorrow and their sadness and their love of the old, old cast and blinded so much that they don't see how great the new people are? Probably. Me, I just want, I just want a good story. I want better lightsaber battles. Well, that, that always helps too. I mean, they were okay in that... Lightsaber battles and space battles. They were okay in The Force Awakens. Not bad, not great. Because, I mean, the first three, the first trilogy, say what you want about the first three movies, except for Revenge of the Sith, because Revenge of the Sith is good. But the, but the lightsaber battles in those movies were so well choreographed. And each one of them was different. The one, each one told a story. So the one between Darth Maul, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Qui-Gon Jinn was completely different from the Anakin versus Obi-Wan. And then the more methodical, slower fight between Mace Windu and... Emperor Palpatine. So they each told their own story, and they were each choreographed a different way, but they were all great in their own way. I know that Finn and Rey weren't well-versed with lightsabers in the first movie, so it was kind of very wild and kind of out of control with their sword fighting, but I want to see, like, better sword fights in this movie. And, you know, great story. I want to see them transition from the old cast to the new cast, but I, 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 want, I want better lightsaber battles, because quite frankly, that's the most exciting part of any Star Wars movie. If you don't get them in this movie, you'll probably get it in the last one. Well, they will have to, I imagine. But I would, I would think you will get at least a taste of a decent lightsaber battle in this one. I'm interested to see, well, because obviously Rey has been training with Luke. We'll find out for how long in the movie, but obviously since she's been training with him, she's going to have her skills upped a little bit. And I'm, I'm interested to see, like, are they going to bring Finn and Rey back together at the end of the movie, or are they going to meet in the middle? Like, where are they going to come back together if they do at all? Probably more interesting than anything is Finn, because Finn, you know Rey is kind of the hero. She's going to be the main, the, the, the one who kind of carries most of the load. But then there's Finn, and Finn showed off some skills with a lightsaber, and it's kind of like, where does Finn fit into this? Does he have some, like, use of the Force? Does he kind of have some knowledge of that? So I'm, I'm more interested to see how they develop Finn than anything, because I think how they develop Rey, you know, her parents, you know, aside from her parents, and we, we tons of theories about that, but I'm interested to see how Finn turns out and what he's been doing and how he kind of fits into the story. Because, again, he's not billed as a Jedi, but you can kind of see some prowess in him that you don't see in most other characters in the movies. Yeah, and you still got the whole thing of, is he a clone or is he not? 
I mean, he may not be. I mean, maybe he's a clone in some way, but he's not a direct clone of Django, who was the, no. the original, yeah, the original clone person who they based the clone army off of. So we're gonna throw it to our main man Sid here for the latest episode of Sophie's Trophies. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to Sophie's Trophies episode four. My name is Sid, and I hope you're all well. Um, to start off with this week, uh, I just want to say thanks to JT for getting in touch about the Horizon Zero Dawn trophies added in patch 3.10. Um, he said he will play the game again to get those trophies, but only when all the DLC is released. Now this I can completely understand. Um, games like that, I tend to buy Game of the Year editions. Um, Arkham Knight, Shadow of Mordor are two that spring to mind because I bought them recently. So yeah, I can totally see where he's coming from with that one. I do prefer to have everything at the same time in one place to go through at my leisure. This week's trophy uh, is basically a nice little easy trophy from a game called Unravel, in which you play a character called Yarny, made out of yarn, obviously, um, and as you go around the game, your yarn runs out. Now you can use yourself, that's the best way to put it, um, to swing from point to point. He fires out a little lasso of himself to grip onto things it's a fun little game you know it looks absolutely stunning um, this trophy i'm talking about now is called flow it's on the last level of the game very rare trophy 9.0 percent and it is a silver and it is basically earned for lassoing between 25 points without touching the ground you can only earn it in the final level which is level 12 and uh, yeah, nice, nice, easy little trophy for people to get their hands on if they play through the game. The game itself is quite enjoyable, a little frustrating, but overall, it's worth worth playing. Okay, guys, thanks a lot for listening. As usual, if you want to get in touch, send an email to Sid at ProvenGamer.com or get in touch via the Facebook group or send me a PSM message. Sid is nineteen seventy eight. Thanks for listening, and keep getting those trophies. Bye. All right, everyone, we're back, and thanks to Sid for yet another great episode. Sid always brings brings the class. He classes up the show here at Trophy Horrors, and uh, kind of hard to do when, you're, when your show is called Trophy Horrors, but Sid manages to do it, and we, of course, appreciate Sid very much, so thank you, sir, for being part of the show. That is going to take us to our topic of the week. Now, our topic of the week is kind of just a discussion on a game that I know at least entices both Yield and I, as we're old-school gamers, and both Mega Man fans, in fact. So the Mega Man Legacy Collection 2 is coming out. You'll, what I want to discuss with you is kind of the appeal of this collection. Obviously, the Mega Man Legacy Collection, the first one, had the first six games from the NES days on it. And that includes, obviously, the first Mega Man, as well as Mega Man's 2 and 3, which usually when people are talking about Mega Man games, if it's not talking about the X series, which Mega Man X is usually one of, towards the top of the quality of Mega Man games, when people are usually discussing the best game in the entire franchise, it's either Mega Man 2 or Mega Man 3. I personally think Mega Man 3 because when you think about it, I, I really like the Robot Masters. It had the best music of the series, I think, and it introduced Rush Jet, Proto Man, and the Slide. The Slide, much like the Wall Jump, introduced Mega Man X, both very crucial to your success in Mega Man. So I think Mega Man 3. If you had to pick between the two yield, which one would you pick? Oh, I'd probably say, well, go ahead. Or I will say, you know what? I'll say one through six. Which one would you say is your favorite? I'm probably going to go with six because it's the one I actually beat. Okay. I mean, obviously the classic Mega Man games are not easy. They're no, (laughs) they're hard. They're quite hard, in fact, and quite challenging. Very satisfying to beat. But I mean, I I can understand that. I, I felt like Mega Man 6 was when it started to get stale. Obviously, it was the sixth game for the NES. And it was came out at the tail end of the NES's life, so I feel like by that point the series was kind of it was kind of old hat, and they needed to change it up, which they did on the Super Nintendo. One of the games in this collection is Mega Man Seven, which came out for the Super Nintendo. Mega Man Eight is also on this collection; it came out for the play, the original PlayStation. And then you got, of course, the two throwbacks, which are now on PSN. Came out on the Wii; they're now on PSN. They are Mega Man Nine and Mega Man Ten. And Mega Man Nine was fantastic; it was great. I, I enjoyed playing it. Again, I was like a kid again, like I am with Crash Bandicoot. It was so nice to go back to that. It was a new game, but that old-school 8-bit style, and I just I just loved it. The Robot Masters were creative. They were fun. The music was great. It was just a fantastic way to jump back into that series and pay homage to the old-school roots, but yet give you something new-school. 
old school and new school like that i mean they married it perfectly with mega man 9 mega man 10 was a great game i don't think it was as good i didn't like the robot masters as much the music was still pretty good i didn't think it was as noteworthy or notable or praiseworthy as mega man 9 it didn't have quite the same appeal of Mega Man 9 because, you know, like people would say with Bioshock, once you've gone to Rapture, the second time just isn't as special. So Mega Man 9, both were welcome games, but Mega Man 9 had the this kind of aura around it of being special and despite being very old school, feeling new. Mega Man 10 didn't quite have that. So this collection, you know, the Mega Man Legacy Collection, obviously, go buy it. You know, great games, whether you like... Mega Man 2 better, Mega Man 3 better, whichever one you like more, any game in that series. I feel like if one get, when you're getting 1 through 6, you're getting a bunch of good games. I still think Mega Man's 5 and 6 were really good, despite the fact that it was getting later in the series, at least on the NES. This collection isn't as enticing to me, because you've got 7 and 8, which I think most people would agree are not great Mega Man games. They're just not as good as their NES counterparts. And then you've got 9 and 10, which are both fun games, actually newer than se- than 7 and 8, despite having um, more simplistic graphics. But those two were the, the fun ones. So this collection I see as having two good games that you want to play and two not-so-great games that you might want to just skip over. So Yield, from your perspective, the Mega Man Legacy Collection 2, are you, are you picking this up? Is this something that intrigues you? Or are you kind of siding with me where it's like, well, I really only want to play essentially half this game, so why am I going to buy it? I don't think I'd rush out and get it day one. I mean, it's Mega Man, so I can see the allure of wanting to, if you own the first Legacy Collection, you'll want to own this one. Now you have all the Mega Man games on two discs. Um, I'll pro- If I pick it up, I'll pick it up later down the line when the price comes down. But yeah, because I, I, I played, I don't remember playing much of, of 7 and 8. 9 and 10 I have played on the PSN, and Reminds me of why I love and hate Mega Man. Yes, the the crushing difficulty, but yet the music and the Robot Masters and Dr. Wily and just Mega Man, they're all great. Yes. There's a definite old school Capcom charm to those games. There, There is, and I just, it makes you want to get mad, but at the same time goes, this is what made me the gamer I am today, so doggone it, I can do this. Yield, you and I are actually talking before the show, and what we both really want is a Mega Man X collection. Yes. And... I would have to say that's the direction that they are moving is a, is a Mega Man X collection because they've obviously they're on Mega Man's nine and ten now, and at some point because one thing that really appeals to me I ha- I owned I own currently Mega Man X on my Super Nintendo and I played and owned both Mega Man X four X five and X six and the kind of gap there is X two and three because I never had a Super Nintendo growing up I was a Genesis kid and only in later years did I get a Super NES. Only in later years did I get a Super Nintendo, and Mega Man X 2 and 3 are so hard to find. Maybe not necessarily hard to find, but if you're going to go on eBay and buy them, they're going to cost you a lot of money. They're kind of those two two of those rare Super Nintendo games that it's going to cost you an arm and a leg to get online. So I was kind of hoping they would actually be on the, the Super Nintendo Classic. No, 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 they just put the first one on there, didn't they? Yes, just X. Just X, okay. So, but I mean, Yield, obviously you, you would be down for a Mega Man X collection since we, we talked about this. I, I am. Um, like we were talking earlier, it, it was a nice change to the series because it kind of modernized it. You know, you got out of the 8-bit, you had the big power shot and you added in, they added in Zero. And I was really intrigued with that, with that character in the game. So, you know, old school gamers, we grew up with Mega Man. So it was, Mega Man X was as if, Mega Man was growing up with us. So I just, I've, I would like an X collection. I would definitely go back and get those. I really enjoyed those games. You know, I think, because they went up to X8, and I feel like, obviously, as the series went on, the games, the quality of the games kind of diminished. I'd say maybe do X1, X2, and X3, maybe X4 if you can get on there. But if you stop at X3, I'm totally fine with that. Because while I enjoyed X4 and X5, there's just not really any need to go back and relive those games. I will I will give them a shout out for Mega Man X6 because they had a hammerhead shark, they also had a wolf and a phoenix and then a turtle. 
Rainy Turtleoid might actually be the largest Maverick of any of the X games. I know that Frost Walrus from X4 was really big, but Rainy Turtleoid was impressive with his size, where he took up like half the screen. So fighting him was a challenge in and of itself. But I think you stop at X3, and you let the other ones kind of just live in the past. We have an email. It comes to us from Kalai. So thank you very much, Kalai, for writing in. Kalai writes in an email, and I'm reading this word for word. I have a statement about the topic of should cons be open to the public. Much of your conversation is around PAX. PAX was created for the fans because they cannot get into E3, so PAX should not have a media day as it is for fans. That being said, E3 and GamesCon should be industry only. The only way fans can get news from their favorite gaming site is for media to have access to the news. So Kalai is in favor of the the more industry-focused side of the, the cons to be industry, media, game makers, developers, publishers, that kind of thing. So uh, thank you again, Kalai, for sharing sharing that. And I think, you know, given what Lucia said in that episode about how it was so hard to kind of get to appointments and he had friends miss appointments, I, I think that a lot of people in the industry probably feel that way. That is going to bring us to the end of our topics. Let's clean this shit up. Proven Gamer is always looking for talented people to join our crew. If you're a writer, a podcaster, a video editor, or a news reporter, if you have any kind of editing talent, or you play on Twitch, uh, let us know. We've got a little Help Wanted tab on the front of ProvenGamer.com. Just click on that tab, go fill out all the information, and Tricky will get back to you when he's looked over everything. Be sure when you're on ProvenGamer.com to stop through and look at some of our articles. We've got reviews, we've got news, we've got previews, anything you could want, so... Go definitely go check out what we've got on provengamer.com. We're also on Twitch, twitch.tv backslash provengamer. First try this week. Woo! Woo! So now you can even subscribe to your favorite Proven Gamer gamers. Obviously, if you've got Amazon Prime, you can subscribe for free. So the address again for the Proven Gamer Twitch is twitch.tv backslash provengamer. Contact info. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter. I am at Sondasaurus Rex. Tricky is at Tricky Mick. We've also got Yield at I Yield to No One. And if you want to get in touch with Mark, you can find him at the underscore Ion Vein to keep up with all that he's doing. The phone number, Yield. What is our phone number? Our phone number, if you would like to call and leave us or any of the staff a me- encouraging message or what they can do better, 330 proven 9. 330. 330- Seven seven six, eight three, six nine. It's got like the the pauses in there for effect. Yeah, I, I am changing it up again this week. Changing it up, keeping it fresh for our listeners. The other podcast on the website. Hey, Trophy Horse is great, but we know we want you to know that we've got some other great content makers out there. We've got PG spoilers. We'll we'll record one sooner or later. Sooner or later, I would love to do one on Until Dawn still. Especially since it's coming out for free on PlayStation. It's actually free for PlayStation Plus this month. So don't forget to download Until Dawn this month. We're about halfway through the month. So it's your, your time is dwindling. I put it in my library. Very nice. You need to play that. I will. It's got a big download, though. I'm going to wait until we move into our new place and I got better internet. Smart. I play that before you play Crash Bandicoot. I'm sorry, Crash. Until Dawn is, is in its own world. It's a 39 gig download. It's worth every, every gig of that. You can also listen to the Smart Marks, which is the wrestling-centric podcast here on ProvenGamer.com. SummerSlam is coming up, and we've actually got Battleground before that. So what better way to prepare for those pay-per-views than listening to the Smart Marks? And listen to the Nintendo Dual Screens with Steven and Andy for all the latest and greatest in Nintendo news and chatter. Again, Nintendo had a pretty good showing at E3, and they've got a lot of great stuff coming up. So if you've got a Switch or you're thinking about getting a Switch, you want to listen to the Dual Screens. Ways you can get the podcast, if you're not down with coming to ProvenGamer.com, you can go to Apple Podcasts, which is formerly iTunes Podcast. You can also find us on Stitcher, various podcast apps, Google Play, TuneIn, and of course, iHeartRadio. Yield, tell them about our PlayStation 4 communities. So, we have several PlayStation 4 communities. We have one for Proven Gamer, called Proven Gamer. We have uh, a trophy horse. PlayStation 4 community called T-Dub's Brothel because Shay... Ah, I messed it up again. Shuhei. Shuhei won't let us say whores. How dare he. And then I have a PlayStation 4 community called the Platinum Guild for uh, just basically bragging rights on your latest and greatest Platinum. Yes, you can keep up with all my Crash Bandicoot Platinums on... The Platinum Guild. Yep, in the Platinum Guild. 
And just, just to entice people, once a month, normally at the beginning of the following month, I go back through and give a shout out to everybody who got a platinum and what games they got platinums in. And we are sponsored. <gasps> Sponsors? We make monies? Well, it all goes back into the site, so it all goes back into the great content you can find on ProvingGamer.com. But Yield, how about you tell them how they can help us and Amazon? So, if you shop on Amazon, which most of us do anyway, if you go to Proving Gamer first, there is an Amazon link. You click that, it takes you right to Amazon, doesn't affect any other thing that you do, and anything that you purchase whether it be your Vigia games or your whatever you buy at Amazon, a small percentage of that gets kicked back to Proven Gamer, and it turns around and is used to produce all the great content that you get on Proven Gamer. So if you would like to support the site, go to the site, click on the Amazon link, and do your shopping as normal. And, of course, we are also... Very heavily involved with Extra Life. Extra Life this year is November 4th, and if you don't know what Extra Life is, it's a 24-hour gaming charity event to benefit the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals. The way you can sign up to play is you go to extra-life.org, and you can sign up to join a team. You can start your own team, or you can play solo. From there, you pick a Children's Miracle Network hospital to represent, and from there, you collect sponsorships for your 24 25-hour gaming marathon. Friends, family, coworkers, you can do lump sum for the entire day, or you can do per hour however they want to donate, whatever they're comfortable donating. What you need to tell them is that 100% of the donations they make toward your sponsorship for your, your marathon, 100% of those funds will go to the Children's Miracle Network Hospital to represent. Extra Life's slogan is play games, heal kids, and it's truly a win-win situation where you get to play games for an entire day and some much-needed funds go to some kids fighting some very terrible diseases. So you're benefiting the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals all while doing something you really enjoy, your hobby, your gaming. So, it, it, again, it's a win-win situation. doesn't get any better than that. That's going to bring us to the end of the show. Before we get out of here for the day and earn some more trophies this evening... Yeah. Shout-outs. Wait, wait yeah. before you do shout-outs, I want, I want to throw something at you. Because I was reading... I got my Game Informer last night, and I, it's the first one I've like read through in a while. Hold so on, let, I, me, let me just say this. Okay. I find it almost hard to believe the Game Informer is a magazine is still around. It, it still is. But it was it was their E3 issue, so I was reading through it, you know, getting their take on E3 and the games that they played and whatnot. And we we've talked, you know, a little bit about the games that we saw from the conferences and everything. You know, I like I was really impressed with uh, uh, Skull and Bones. You know, I I get my pirate fix that I've been clamoring on for like three four years about. But at the very back of the magazine, there's this game called uh, Vampire. Have did you hear about this during E3? I did not. Okay, so I was I was making sure because I'm like somebody I, I could have missed it because I didn't I didn't see all the conferences. I zipped through Sony's and just watched the main conference. Didn't watch the pre-conference. So there, there's this game called Vampire. It's coming out on all the on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Uh, it's slated for release sometime this year. Just says 2017, and it's made by. Uh, let me see if I say that, say it right. Uh, Don't Nod Entertainment, which made Life is Strange. So the premise of the game, coming off of what I've read, is you play as a vampire in 1918 London during the Spanish flu. And there are another set of, of baddies that are killing people. And you've also got vampire hunters after you. You're playing as a vampire. And you have to feed on people to get stronger to fight off the other baddies and the vampire hunters and supposedly your choices have consequences so they brought up the fact of, of basically there was this serial killer going around killing people and you find found out you know through your investigation interrogations or whatever that you found out that said guy is the serial killer if you kill you know if you feed off the serial killer you don't get that much stronger, but you, in essence, save a lot of other innocent people from being murdered. However, you also find out that, like, his mother is taking care of homeless people out of the goodness of her heart, even though she is covering up that her son is a serial killer. But if you feed off the mother, her bloodline or whatever will make you much stronger. 
But if you do that, then, you know, he will still go around killing people. And then you lose the fact that she was taking care of homeless people. So it's one of those like moral things, you know, which do you do? Do you want to be all powerful or do you want to just stop the bad things from happening and continue on? So it was, it was a little interesting read about this game that I totally heard nothing about in any of the press conferences. So just throwing that out there for the listeners. If you didn't know about it, something you might want to keep an eye out for because I know I'm going to. I generally always play the good guy, so I make the good decisions. I mean, that's how I feel I am in real life. So I generally do things to help people. So I would say, like for me, I would stop the bad things from happening. Like that's because, like, Infamous is a great example of that because I played through the game twice as good and bad, but I played through the game first, my my real playthrough as the good guy, as good Cole. Yeah, that that that's the way I was. Although after after I did Infamous two, I thought to myself, you know. You should probably play the second time as the good guy because it would be because you always had to play through on a hard difficulty to get the platinum. So playing through on hard and as the good guy would probably be harder than playing on hard and as the bad guy. I, I didn't think about it until after the fact. But yeah, I always played the bad guy on my hard playthrough. That way I could kill them all and let God sort them out. Yeah, I think that most people agreed that it was more is more fun to be bad and infamous, and it was also easier to be bad because you didn't have to worry about any pedestrians or any kind of like karma points swinging to the wrong way if you did some certain actions. So I think it was a lot of people agreed that going through on easy or the the easier difficulty as good was the better option to go. I just did good because that's the way I play. Yeah, I always I do a little bit of I do a little bit of 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 what what I do in that instance. And also, how is the game being narrated to me? You know, is it being narrated strictly as, as you know, your, I shouldn't say your decisions matter. Are you narrating it as I need to be a good person? Or as you, or, or are you narrating it as I'm a conflicted good person or am I a bad person? And then that's kind of how I play the game is kind of either a mix or how if I feel the game is narrating me. Sounds like an interesting game. Keep your keep your eyes on it. We we hear trophy wars like to trumpet or we like to triumph the smaller games, the indie games. Well, some of us do. Tricky Tricky's not so much into the indie game scene, but Yield and I certainly are. I am. I, and and I remember I used to kind of make fun at the indie games, but I also said that the games that they were producing at that time just weren't in my wheelhouse. Now the indie studios are making games that are in my wheelhouse, and I tend to lean more towards. That I still like my blockbusters, but you know, like I, I, I've played Dangerous Golf and I love Dangerous Golf. That's made by an indie team, so I'm I'm starting to lean a, a, a lot more towards indie studios because they're they're to me they're mixing you know old school vibes with the new school technologies and stuff, but they're also coming out with with really good stories and in, in a small package with, with a small group. So a lot of them don't get the broadcast or not broadcast. <laughs> uh, the advertising dollars that that your bigger studios do. Yeah, uh, I will say that before we get out of here, there is one indie game that I really, really need to play. It's by Play Dead, the people who brought us Limbo. It's inside. I hear good things about that game, and I really want to play it. Maybe, maybe before the end of the year, can shoot for that. I'm sure it'll be on a sale. Yes, but what is never on sale are our shoutouts because our shoutouts are always free. Yield. Hit them with some shoutouts. So, I will start off with the whoredom. You, the fans of Trophy Horrors, uh, thank you for downloading, listening, spreading everything that is Trophy Horrors, even if you have to uh, kidnap your friends and lock them up in a closet while you listen to it. Either Tro- way, we'll The take- Trophy Horrors do not advocate kidnapping your friends and locking them in closets. No, we don't. But if you just happen to and they're listening, awesome. Also, a uh, shout out to Alex for recording this week, and Sid for knocking out all of the uh, Sophie trophies. Uh, also, a uh, shout-out to Tricky, who I believe is rubbing elbows, kissing babies, and stealing lollipops at the at a in, at an event in New York. It's actually a Nintendo event. Nintendo event. He is there with Andy and Steven from the dual screens. Ah, look at him. Awesome, awesome. And also, I will give um, a shout-out to Avalanche Studios for making the Mad Max game. 
like I said, really enjoying it. I'm enjoying upgrading my car and beating people up and, and destroying things. If, if it wasn't for the mass open world, I think Alex would like it more because the combat, very much a liking to Batman. Of course, it helps Warner Brothers also is, you know, is in on it because of the Mad Max licensing. But the, the, the combat, Alex, is, is very much Batman-ish. When you're sitting there fighting, you get the triangle to counter. I, uh, I think most combat systems are going the way of Batman these days. All right, so for shout-outs, as always, I want to shout-out to the listeners for being awesome and fueling this fire that is Trophy Horse, this burning, raging wildfire, much like the wildfire at the end of Campo Santo's Firewatch. Ah, excellent game. I give a shout-out to Tricky, Andy, and Steven for representing Proven Gamer at the Nintendo event today in New York. I asked for free swag. They made fun of me. Probably sitting there collecting Switches and going to sell them on eBay. Probably, jerks. I give a shout-out, of course, to Lucia for, you know, long-time host. Still still missing him. Always will miss him. We'll have to have to wrangle him for a show, but a shout-out to Lucia, who is doing awesome things, as always, PlayStation-related. And I think that that is going to bring us to the end of the show. I will give one more final shout-out to Vicarious Visions, because I'm still having so much fun with the Crash game. So, Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, go buy it. Thank you, Vicarious Visions, for putting so much effort into it. Thank you, Activision, for publishing it. And I'll bring that, I believe, I believe that'll bring us to the end of episode 310. Thank you for listening, as always, and until next week, happy trophy hunting. Peace out, and platinum on.